So we're still in, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, and our starting passage here that we're going to look at for today, we'll look at a couple passages in Luke, but sort of the main one to kick things off is in chapter 4, so you can turn there in your Bibles. Uh, we're going to read verses 16 through 21, and let's just sort of like get right to it. We'll read it. <coughs> so this is Luke 4, uh, starting at verse 16, talking about Jesus. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And just so you know, now this quote, this is from Isaiah uh, chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. So unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what's, what's going on here? Um, <laughs> of course, Christ here, he, he reads from Isaiah chapter 61, verses one and two. And then what does he wind up saying? He's saying, it, it's all about me. I'm the fulfillment of this, of these verses. And, and really what he's telling us here as he says this, we'll dig into this a bit, but he's really telling us what his ministry is all about. Sort of like, Here's why, I'm ha here's why I'm here. Here's why I've been sent. Here's why the Father sent me, right, to be born of a virgin, to take on flesh. This is why I'm here. This is my mission. Uh, this is the ministry. And again, I'm fulfilling these passages. And so well, what is this ministry all about? Sort of like, what is he here for? Well, what does he say? He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, right? So the Holy Spirit, he's empowered by the Holy Spirit because he has anointed me to, to do what? He's been anointed by the Father. Again, this is his his ministry, this is the work he's been given to do. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And here poor, uh, it can have the sense of, of uh, sort of from a financial perspective, poor, impoverished, uh, but it doesn't have to have that sense. It can also have the sense as well of sort of like uh, afflicted, those who are sort of like uh, brought low, kind of like things aren't going well for them, afflicted. That, that's sort of the sense of the word. And that's what, what's intended here, because he has anointed me to preach good news to sort of like those in a bad situation, those who are afflicted. And now we, we get more, and really it's sort of like a fleshing out of, of what he means by that. Sort of each of these good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives. It's not like these are different things. They're just different ways of saying really the exact same thing. So here we have good news to these afflicted ones uh, in a tough situation. Those afflicted ones in a tough situation, those are captives. That, that's what's stated in, in the next part of, of this passage. Uh, and the good news is freedom. Again, that's what we see in the next part of, of this verse. So he's anointed me to preach good news, this message of, of freedom to these who are afflicted, who are captives, right? And he, he says that again in the next part. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind. And again, the blind here are just sort of like an example of, of, of ones who are held captive in some sort of way, and they're held captive by their blindness. 
And what is he doing for them? Setting them free from that. So that, that's just sort of an example of freedom for a captive of sorts. Recovery of sight for the blind. And then he goes on to release the oppressed. So here it's, it's not just, again, that's kind of the same idea here as like freedom for the captives to release the oppressed. But, but earlier it was to proclaim this, but now it's not, oh, to proclaim it, it it's to do it. It's to release the oppressed. So What's his ministry about? Well, it's, it's proclaiming and doing what? Setting captives free. And then he goes on to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <clears throat> and again, really saying, again, for those who are held captive, right? God in his favor toward them. And what's centrally in view here when we talk of being captive, we'll flesh this out a bit, but it's certainly held captive by sin. That's really what's in view. That doesn't mean that there aren't sort of lesser captivities being captive to blindness, or maybe you're lame, right? You're crippled, or maybe you have leprosy, some sort of illness. And as we see the ministry of Jesus, right, he sets those captives free. Maybe you're, you're possessed by a demon and he frees you from that captivity. So there are those sort of lesser captivities that, that Christ still cares about, and he sets people free from that. But ultimately, what it's really all pointing toward is, is the great captivity that we have sinned. We're held captive by our sin and rightfully under God's judgment and wrath, and basically to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's like, this is the time right here, right now, God, in his favor that he has toward mankind, stuck in our sin as we are, this is the time when now, again, he will bring about freedom for those captives through Christ, through his atoning death on the cross. <clears throat> so that's what's going on here, right? Jesus here, he pulls out Isaiah, reads from it, says, I'm the fulfillment of this. And in a nutshell, what he's telling us is, and this is why I'm here. This is why I've come. This is what it's all about. I'm here to set captives free. That's what my ministry is all about. And I want us to look at both sort of the lesser captivities, but then also the bigger one, as I said, this, this captivity to sin. And we're going to turn a little bit later in Luke chapter 13. That's what we're going to go to next, verses 10 through 17. And here we're going to focus on an example of, of one of the lesser captivities, uh, and, and so let's just read it. And again, as we read this, just even listen to the language, the language of sort of being held captive in bondage and setting free. It's just sort of throughout this passage. So Luke 13, 10 through 17. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Right, so here she is held captive, and, and here it's by an illness, right? She's, she's crippled. But it's not just that. I mean, there are illnesses that it's, it's just the illness and that's it. But there can be illnesses caused by a, a, a demon. And that's what's going on here. She's been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. So sort of those captivities kind of go together. This demonic oppression here. Uh, but then what's the result of that is, is being physically crippled. So she's held captive by this in bondage. It says she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity, right? Even see the language there. You're set free. This thing that sort of kept you bound up, now you're free from it. You've been captive to this for a long time, for 18 years, and now he sets her free. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. 
Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, again, see the language there, kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he had said this, when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Right, so here, again, not that there are, aren't are other instances of sort of these lesser captivities, right? We can think of women crippled here. You can think of people who are blind. Uh, you can think of lepers, right? Those, those possessed by demons. We have these captivities, and Jesus cares about those things. Often we can sort of just look at them, and it's sort of like, look at these wonderful miracles. It's so great. Uh, but, but Jesus cares about, about these people. He sees them bound up. He sees this woman bound for 18 long years by this captivity. And what does he do? He delights in setting her free. I mean, that, that doesn't mean that, that in every situation, if I have some sort of sickness, guaranteed, like Jesus wants to set me free from that and heal me of that, I, right? I can think of Paul and he's got the thorn in, in his flesh and, and it's not God's will to heal him. That's the reality. So it doesn't mean like every physical ailment, it's, it's God's plan and desire for you to be healed. But, but nonetheless, he, he may want to do something bigger and grander through that or use it to, to teach you something and draw you closer to himself, right? He have, may have a grander plan and purpose for that. But, but nonetheless, right, God does care about those lesser ways in which we're bound up and does delight in setting us free from them. But, but really, even there's that reality, but even more so, it's pointing to the greater captivity. As, he's, as we have these sort of lesser captivities and Jesus is setting people free, he's sending a message. This is what I'm about. This is what my ministry is about, but in a greater way even. There's a bigger captivity. It's not just about being crippled by a spirit for 18 years. There's a bigger captivity in its sin. We're held captive by our sin. And he's saying, and I've come, I'm here to set you free from that. And we see that in our next passage, we're going to turn to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. And here's what he says. Here's what it says. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, right? This is the big captivity. Everyone who sins, that's me, that's you, that's each and every one of us. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We are held captive by it. We've sinned, and because of our sin, we've rightfully, justly fallen under God's judgment and wrath. We're held captive by our sin. We can't solve that situation. We can't, can't fix that problem on our own course, through Christ, there, there's victory and we can be set free. And that's what he's going to go on and talk about, right? So I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And now he sort of uses typical household law, the way things would have operated in a household in, in his day and age. And he, he uses that here. He says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And, and this was the, he's speaking of himself, of course, but, but just any household, the son would carry the weight and authority of the father. And so if the son set a slave free, well, then that slave would be free indeed. And he's sort of using that parallel and he's saying it's the same with me. Remember, you're, you've sinned. Anyone who's sinned, you're a slave to sin. But if the son, and he's talking about himself, if I set you free, 
you are free indeed. And in fact, he's saying, indeed, this is why I've come here. The Father has sent me to set captives free. Those who've been held captive, bound up by their sin, I've come to set them free. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. We're going to turn now to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. And here's what it says. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Again, this is the picture. We've sinned. We're held captive by it, enslaved by it. But what has Christ done? He has died as a ransom to set us free from our sins. And this is language that would be very familiar to anyone in, in first century AD world, Roman world. Uh, this is something that would be familiar. Slavery was rampant. It was commonplace in, in the Roman Empire. It was all over the place. And the reality was that, that not to say that this happened all the time, but there was a way in which a slave could be purchased out of, of slavery. Uh, you could pay a ransom payment to the owner of that slave. You could pay this ransom payment, that price, and the slave would then be set free from that bondage, that enslavement. And again, this is something that just would have been sort of like a part of life people would have been familiar with, part of just sort of like life in, in the Roman world. And again, this is what's being spoken of here, but, but of course spoken of in relation to Christ. <clears throat> the reality is we've sinned, we're enslaved by it, we're held captive, but there is one who has paid the ransom price, the ransom payment to set us free from that enslavement to sin, and that is Christ himself. And what was that price? Well, it was him dying on a cross in our place, paying for our sin in full. So again, we have here this captivity held captive by our sin, enslaved by it. But of course, Christ has paid that ransom payment to set us free, and he paid it on the cross. Now, at this point, we've sort of talked about, uh, of course, captivity and Christ setting captives free. We've talked about sort of just to give a quick recap before we go on. The lesser captivities, things like we talked about with the woman uh, crippled by a spirit. Of course, Christ cares about that and sets captives free from those lesser captivities. But then really sort of that's pointed to the big captivity, how we're held captive by our sin. Uh, but of course, Christ has set us free through his atoning death on the cross. But, but the reality is we think of sort of like the, the, the freeing of captives, that, that work of Christ, it doesn't end there. Uh, there's more to it. Yes, Christ has set us free from our enslavement to sin in the sense that uh, through him, through what he did for us on the cross, our, our sins paid for now, uh, right? It, it's cleansed, it's paid for, done with, done, washed away the stain of our sin. We stand before God as righteous in his sight. We are justified in Christ Jesus but if we're honest, we recognize, but yet I still struggle with sin. There's still sin lingering within me. I still struggle with sin in my life. As we look at the world around us, we still see brokenness all around. Uh, and I want us to realize that while, yes, we can sort of speak in the past tense, like, yes, Christ has set me free from bondage to sin, right? Now in him, my sin's paid for. I'm, I'm righteous in the sight of God in Christ Jesus, but his setting me free from sin is not just sort of in that past tense sense of justification, but also in the present tense sense of sanctification. Yes, we, we still struggle with sin, but it's not Christ's 
plan just to say, hey, you're now justified through what I did for you on the cross. You're righteous in God's sight. But now I'm just going to let you like still continue to struggle with sin in your life. And, and there's no transformation for you. And you'll just go on being the same old Steve forever and ever and ever continuing to struggle with sin. That is not his plan, but rather it's to continually, ever increasingly set us free from the continued lingering presence of sin in our lives. And that's sanctification, growing in, in holiness, being molded more and more into the likeness of Christ, being rid of that, that sin that still lingers within us. And this is part of his plan, not just to, in sort of a judicial legal way, set us free from sin, but, but also to purge it from us within that, that sin that still hangs around and lingers. And we see this spoken of in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 18. And here's what it says, and then I'll kind of explain it because it, it, sort of first read here might be like, I don't even know what's going on. What, what's Paul talking about here in 2 Corinthians 3.18? But, but here's what he says. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I want to give sort of like the background to this a little bit. And actually, if you read a little bit earlier in, in the same chapter, uh, Paul talks a little bit about this. But sort of the backdrop, what, what Paul has in his mind is he's using uh, this imagery is that of, if you go back to the Old Testament, you think of Moses going up on, on Mount Sinai and, and going before the Lord's presence. What then happened was sort of like from just the radiant glory of the Lord shining upon Moses, his face then sort of like reflected that glory. And he came down from the mountain. It's like his face is like glowing, radiant, shining forth. And the Israelite people are kind of like, yeah, I'm a little bit terrified. Like what's going on here? Uh, and so his response was like, well, then I'll put a veil over it. And that's what he did. So he'd take the veil off and go up and, and, and be with God on Mount Sinai. And then he'd come back down, face glowing, where it's sort of that glory of the Lord was like reflected in him, in that sense, reflected off of his face. So he'd come down and, and, and put the veil back on. And so this is sort of like what Paul has in his mind. And now here's what he says. This will help us to understand. And we all with unveiled face, and again, here emphasizing like back then, right, th there was this veil. There was always sort of this separation and barrier between, between God and the people. And he's like, now in Christ, th there's no more separation. We, we have direct access to God. So we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that is, as we sort of draw near to the Lord, as we come before him, as we spend time with him, as we're in his word, as we're in prayer, just drawing near to God, right? Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image as we're being molded more and more into the, the image of Christ. That's what's in view there, being made more and more Christ-like from one degree of glory to another that is like more and more and more ever increasingly more and more transformed into the likeness of Christ. And he says, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And this is the working of, of the Holy Spirit. And so it's being said here, really, in effect, again, we have God's desire for us to, to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ, into his likeness, to grow in, in sanctification. How does this take place as we behold the glory of the Lord, as we just draw near to him, as we draw close to him, and, and as we're spending that time with him in his word, in prayer, just communing with God, drawing near to him, the Spirit just works and moves and brings about that trans transformation and grows us more and more into the likeness of Christ. So that then now we're reflecting, again, think of sort of that imagery where like Moses is reflecting the glory of the Lord. Now we're reflecting that, that glorious character of Christ Jesus as we're molded, as we sort of focus on the Lord, focus our minds, our hearts on him, spend time with him, draw near to him, then sort of the character of God, the character of Christ is now sort of like reflected in us. Again, using that same 
imagery. But again, sort of the, the point that I, I want to make here is this is, is part of the, the work that Christ has for his people. It's again, not just to sort of past tense, save us from sin. He's done that. He's set us free from bondage to sin. But then even in sort of the present tense, continuing thinking of that lingering presence of sin in our lives, his plan is not just to sort of leave us there struggling with sin, but to say, no, I have this plan and it's to mold you more and more into my likeness. That's Christ's plan to ever increasingly set us free from that continued lingering presence of sin in our lives. But again, it doesn't end there, but we realize that ultimately now we can sort of talk not just past tense, setting how he past tense set us free from, from our bondage to sin, or present tense, how he's continuing ever increasingly to set us free from that lingering presence of sin. But we can also look at the future tense as, as well. And, and we recognize, we'll, we'll read from, from scripture from Revelation chapter 21, but that ultimately Christ is going to come back. Uh, and when he does, he's going to set everything right and perfect. He's going to usher in the new creation in all its fullness and glory. If we think of sort of like every every part of like the, the negative fallout of sin, every bad thing that came about because of sin, sin's presence, but all sort of like the, the negative consequences, how, how this death and this suffering and this pain and this illness and, and hate and strife and wars and so forth and so on, every bit of that. He will do away with. That will be no more. And instead, everything will be wondrous and glorious and perfect. In effect, right, to, to use the language of sort of setting free, he's going to set us free from any remaining lingering presence of, of sin or any of that fallout or effects, consequences of sin. We will be set free from that with finality. Sin and every consequence will be done away and everything will be glorious and perfect. And here's the description of what things will be like in Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Right, That old order, that's sort of the order under sin and all of its corruption and, and again, the negative consequences— and that old order of things, it's, it's passed away. It will be no more, right? We won't struggle with sin anymore. Sin won't linger within us. Every negative consequence that's a result of sin, the death, the mourning, the crying, the pain, the sickness, the wars, all of it, no more. Everything will be wondrous and glorious and perfect. That's what's in store for us in eternity, in the new creation, right? Well, we will be there dwelling with God in the fullness of his glorious presence, we will, with finality, be set free from any lingering presence or effect or consequence of sin. And that is something that we should eagerly yearn for, that, that in our heart of hearts, we should always just sort of be crying out, come, Lord Jesus, come back, usher this in, this glorious new creation that, that you have in store that you're going to bring about. Bring it about, Lord Jesus. We should be yearning for that day. But, but sort of coming back big picture as we think of Christ and his work and his ministry of setting captives free, I want us to, to sort of have that full sense of how Christ uh, has set, is setting, and will set captives free. 
Again, as we talked about, there are sort of the lesser captivities, things like illnesses, demon possession, being crippled, as we looked at that example of that woman. I don't want us to overlook those things. God still cares about those things. Christ still cares about those things. doesn't mean like that's now a promise that there will be healing for you, but, but I think oftentimes we sort of limit God, and in our minds we sort of say, of, of course God can heal. You know, maybe you're struggling with some sort of illness, whatever it is, and of course God could heal me. He has the power to, but we just sort of in our minds figure like, but I'm not going to be the miracle. I'm not going to be that case, and we just sort of write God off in our minds and say, you know, it's just not going to happen. Now, maybe it's not his plan to do that, but we see all over the place in scripture where he delights in setting captives free from those types of things, and we shouldn't limit him, and we should eagerly come before him and say, Lord, if it be your will, set me free from, from this affliction and, and, and desire to see that come to pass and just persistently come before him and seek that and ask for it. Again, maybe it will be his plan, maybe it will not, uh, but he delights in doing such things. And so we shouldn't limit the Lord. Uh, even in those lesser ways, he sets captives free. But then we get sort of to the big captivity, captivity to sin, and he has set us free through his atoning death on the cross where he paid for our sin in full. Now we are set free from that bondage, that captivity to sin. We'd sin, we deserve judgment and wrath, but Christ came, paid for our sin in full, and if we just repent and believe in him, we're forgiven, we're saved, we have eternal life, we are set free, truly set free from our sin. But again, it doesn't end there, right? But he's continuing to set us free from that continued lingering presence of sin in our lives, that sanctification. But then also we look to the future and realize one day everything's going to be perfect. Sin, every last consequence, part of that fallout of sin, everything that came about, the corruption as a result, it will be done away with. We will be freed from every bit of that with finality. As we think of, so like, so what's our, our takeaway? Okay, we understand this, Christ, how he's set us free, how this ministry of setting captives free, but sort of what's our takeaway? What, what's our application? Again, I sort of already mentioned, but with the lesser sort of captivities, pray for them, seek, seek them. Desire for God to bring those, those sort of lesser freeings from captivity about in your life. If you're struggling with some sort of illness, or maybe it's like broken relationships, seek for God. Uh, to bring that, that freeing of that captivity, where there's that brokenness and captivity. Just come before me and say, Lord, set me free from this. But then thinking of sort of in the bigger way, uh, when it comes to how he has justified us, we're, we're righteous in, in God's sight through what Christ has done for us on the cross, how he has that past tense set us free uh, from our captivity to sin. I want us just to rejoice in that. And then give him thanks for it. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for, for doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Thank you for, for going to that cross, dealing with my sin problem. I know it. I understand it. I, I, I had sinned. I have sinned. And I know what I deserve. But you came. You went to the, that cross. You paid for my sin in full. You have set me free, truly, from captivity to sin. And just rejoice in it and thank him for it with every fiber of your being. But then thinking of sort of that present tense, the, the sanctification, this is something we should seek after in our lives. And I, I would say, if we're probably honest, if we were to characterize like evangelical Christianity, we're like quick to talk about justification as we should be and, and like celebrate that. But then I think oftentimes there can be this like, but if you're not really like growing in the faith, like no big deal, as long as you have your like, you know, get out of hell free card, you're good. Who cares how you live your life? And it's like, well, Christ cares. He, he does care. It, and he wants his people, he wants the body of Christ 
uh, to be growing and maturing and reflecting his character. And, and we should desire that. We should, as we look at ourselves, sort of see the sin that remains in us and, and say, no more. I, I don't want to be that guy anymore. Transform me. And again, how is that going to come about? As we read in, in 2 Corinthians, it's just drawing near to the Lord. It's, it's, it's being with him, being in his word, spending time with him, drawing near to him. And as we do that, as we sort of come into his presence and draw near to him, the Holy Spirit just works and more and more changes us, transforms us, makes us more and more into the likeness of Christ and rids us of that sin in our lives. And so we ought to seek after that sanctification, seek to, to foster that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and rejoice in the fact that Christ does that work by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But then also as we sort of think of, of the future tense, um, of the setting captives free, remembering Christ is coming back and he's going to set everything wondrous and glorious and perfect. It's just something that, that day in and day out we should be yearning for. It, if you look at like the, the early church and you read through the New Testament, it's like it was not something they lost sight of. Like centrally, something they were focused on is like, it's not like this is it as you look around and look at our broken, fallen world and say, this is it. This is as good as it gets. No, but like all the time they'd have in their minds, no, no, Christ is coming back. He's going to return. It doesn't end with the here and now and what things look like. He's going to come back and he's just going to set everything right and perfect. Sin and all of those consequences that came about in the corruption, it will be done away with. It will be set right. We will be set free from any lingering effect of sin in our lives as he ushers in the new creation. And I just want us to, to rejoice in what's in store for us uh, and, then, and then just yearn for it with every fiber of our beings. It's like we should wake up every morning and say, oh, Lord Jesus, let this be the day. Come, Lord Jesus, return here now. Usher in that new creation. That should be the cry of our hearts. He knows the timing. You know, the Lord knows. God knows when, when that time is. But our heart's desire should just be as soon as possible. Come, come and yearn for that day. Eagerly await it. And so uh, that's what I want for us as we think about Christ, as we think of this wondrous ministry of his setting captives free to understand it in that fullest sense. Hear the application that we've talked about and do it. Amen. And let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, as you talked about right toward the beginning of your ministry, Luke chapter 4, you opened up Isaiah, you read those verses, and you said, I'm the fulfillment of this. This is what I'm here for. This is what I've come to do. And, and what was that? To set captives free. Yes, in the smaller senses, but also ultimately pointing to, to the bigger sense, setting us free from bondage to sin. Yes, in the sense of justification, and we rejoice in that, but then it's not like it ends there. Yes, we've been set free in sort of a legal judicial sense from our sin. We now, in you, Lord Jesus, stand before God as, as righteous in his sight, but then we know it continues in sanctification, and, and we realize you, you're continuing ever increasingly to set us free from the sin that lingers in us, and we know one day you're coming back and you'll set us free with finality from any lingering presence of sin in our lives and the world. And Lord, I pray that we would just, as we understand all of this, we'd rejoice in what you've done for us, how you have past tense set us free from our sin, that we would seek after that sanctification, that present tense of setting us free from that lingering presence of sin in our lives. May, may we run to you day after day and, and just draw near to you. And as we do that, Holy Spirit, just work and transform us more and more into your likeness, Lord Jesus. And then may we always remember you're coming back and you're going to set everything wondrous and glorious and perfect. And may we just yearn for that day. 
when you remove sin with finality and every effect that has come about because of sin and you set us free with finality from sin and its every effect. May we yearn for that day deeply in our heart of hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen.